story for you. Betty had a nephew that was really a unique young man. He, his name was Jake. Jake was just one of these kind of guys who has a winning personality. You couldn't help but like him unless you wanted things to run on time. Then he could get on your nerves. <clears throat> he attended here at Crossing for years as a child. He grew up here, and then his family was living in Elkins Park area, so that's where he was attending over at New Life for many years. But Jake had this one quirk that goes a lot with being late, which is getting lost. As a child, you know, he got lost in the department store like so many child do, children do. As a child, he got lost. His mother just shares a variety of stories about Jacob getting lost all the time. He got lost with the one, us one time. He was in cross country, and he's working in our VBS program here that summer. So he's standing at the house, and so we go home, and Betty puts stuff on the grill, and Jake says, I'm going to run for, I'm going for a quick run. He goes on a run, and he just keeps running, I guess. Forrest Gump, right there in my family. He doesn't come back. He says, I'm just going to go over into that park over there. And he doesn't come back. And he doesn't come back. And Donna is fine. Betty finally decides, I have to call my sister and say, I've lost your son. I don't know where he's at. She does that. And eventually, after a few hours, and dinner is ruined and everything else, Jake finally is found. Finally is found. That story is not unheard of. He was in Paris for a year studying. He, missed, he, had, he came back and told us the stories there of getting on the wrong trains, getting on the wrong buses, always getting lost. One year in 2004, finally, he was studying at Emory University. He was going to go into social work. He wanted to work with homeless people and people who were in um, loss. And he called on Mother's Day of 2004 to wish Donna a happy Mother's Day. said that he mentioned to her in talking that he was having trouble feeling his toes and having an eyesight problem. So they went to the doctor and stuff and eventually found out that he had been diagnosed with a very serious brain cancer. Jake spent the next year and a half getting lost in cancer. And then finally, in November 2005, he was found, never to be lost again. Jacob said about his cancer, I would never really want to do this, but I am going to make the most of this. The dude was relentless. For a guy who was lost all the time and late to everything, he took that last 14 months, and squeezed every ounce out of it. He's just not what you'd expect of that young man. At his funeral, his mother said, I spent my whole life losing my son somewhere or another. But Jesus, his entire life, was pursuing him and found him, and he'll never be lost again now. In our text today, God asked that same question in Genesis 3. Turn to Genesis 3 and 9 with me. In Genesis 3 9, God asks a question of someone else who's lost in that text. And it just simply is the Lord God called to man and said to him, Where are you? Have you ever been around someone that you really, really respected? that you almost felt uneasy being around and that you didn't know what to say to them, how to act, what to do. You know, you didn't know whether you should sit or stand. You, you didn't know whether you should bow or curtsy. You didn't know if you call them Mr. or Mrs. or Dr. or your Reverend or your Honor or Mr. President or Mr. Senator or whatever. You didn't know what to do with them. You surely didn't want to call them by their name. Well, oddly enough, I, I don't believe that the nature of the relationship that Adam and Eve had in the garden with God 
was the one where they were worried about all those things. I believe it was a very natural and authentic relationship they shared. One that was genuine in every sense of the word. One that is genuine in a sense that we very rarely ever experience with someone else, I believe. They were uninhibited. (laughs) They were undressed. (laughs) They definitely defined chill. Just relaxed. With each other, with God, with everything around them. But the nature of that relationship went from chill to cold. The account of man's fall in the garden, it goes like this. You you probably have heard something about it. God sets them up with ultimate freedom. They have intimacy with him. They experience him in ways that we cannot even conceive of. And God only tells them one thing. Don't eat from that tree. And you know what happens when we are told don't eat, don't do that one thing? They did it. And so Adam and Eve ate from that tree at the encouragement of the snake. And we pick up that. Why don't you flip open your Bible? Since you have it there, open up to uh, uh, just look at the context of Genesis 3, 7 through 13. All right? And so beginning in verse 7, it says, Then the eyes of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, that phrase right there is a phrase I'd love to teach about because it fascinates me, but I just can't imagine what you would say about that. Can you imagine that? And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. Pretty amazing text. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I, so I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? And having, have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to? And the man said, the woman you gave to me, she, she did it. She, she, she took from the tree, and I ate. And then the Lord God said to her, what is this you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I did eat. You, you come to this place and you say, is God all-knowing? And the answer is yes. Why does he ask, where are you? What do you think? Why did he ask, where are you? Talk to me. Let them come to their own conclusion. All right, very good. What else? They lost that spirit connection with the Lord. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Sure. Give them a chance to repent. Give them a chance to repent. Okay, good. What else? Grant? Yeah, let them figure out for themselves what they did wrong. Good. I've used that on him a lot. (laughs) Anyone else? Yes. They were lost in sin. Yeah. And I think it really is, it is really is, you know, how many of us, listen, you know, we could just say this section over here, how many times your parents say, what have you done? It's not like they don't know. It's that they, they know and that by getting you to confess it, they speed up through the confession part right into the punishment part. You know what I mean? I believe that God knew exactly what had happened and he was pointing it out to Adam. And this is the similar question that he says to Cain in chapter 4, verse 9. He says, where's your brother? He knows where the brother's at. He's wooing the confession. He's wooing an answer that he already knows from the person he's talking to. He knew. 
But in this case, Adam and Eve had never been separated from the Lord. They had never hidden before. And there was something different about this. And what was different was not God. It was them. You see in verse 7, they realized that they were unclothed. They, they, they needed to cover themselves. And in verse 8, they hid themselves. In verse 10, they were afraid. And if you were to follow this into the final verses of this, all of a sudden they start finger pointing. It was her. And then she says it was him. Everything's different now. There's no more intimacy. There's no more running to see. You've probably experienced this yourself when you know that you have stepped over the line in some area where Someone else comes into the room and they sense the difference. Or you come into the room and you sense the difference because you know something's changed. And that something that's changed is usually not something good. It's nearly always something bad. So now, instead of intimacy, there's distance. Instead of walking and greeting, there's hiding. God's question was pointing that out. Where are you? You and I have always been close, but now you're not here. What changed? And we can sum up that change in these words. We can sum up that change in fear. We can sum up that change in in shame, in guilt, in brokenness, distance, hiding. Have you ever noticed that it's very easy to hide in the same room with someone? It's, It's very easy to hide even when you're in the same car with someone. Adam had become lost and he needed to be found. Where are you? The Lord asked. One commentator says that those outside the faith are never called unsaved in Scripture. They're always referred to as lost. Sin had broken everything that was. It had ruined it. Fear, shame, guilt had caused man to run, to hide, to distance himself from God. Well, let me just ask you a question. That's not something that was true just to Adam and Eve, is it? That's true for every man, woman, and child in this room, isn't it? It's not uncommon for me to come to a place when I have just been in a really bad spell, whether it's been dry, whether it's been inattention to inattention to my own spiritual life, or it's been my own sin in my life. And I come to this place and I just say, I cannot, I just don't want to go back one more time and confess and ask for forgiveness. Distance. Barrier. A gap between God and man. And like I say, I think all of us have experienced that with, between our relationship with God and even with other people because that's what Adam all of a sudden was experiencing with Eve and Eve with Adam immediately when this is done. And so now sin had ruined all this, but this is what you find here. In this scenario, in this text, and then in every other text you really want to pursue and look for it, While Adam ran, God pursued the very first game of hide-and-seek. While Adam hid from God, God was pursuing him. Where are you? Where are you? God always follows. God always seeks. He is the shepherd who finds value in every lamb and every sheep. And what he's saying here is he's saying, you're lost, Adam, and I've come to find you. This morning, I'm asking you, Do you need to put your name up there instead of Adam? You're lost. And I've come to find you. Man runs, man hides. He experiences fear, shame, guilt. 
He seeks, but God seeks, he pursues, he woos us. See, that's, that's just what he does all the time. Man runs and hides, God seeks and pursues. And sometimes he doesn't always do it himself like he did in the garden, but very, very often and most often he's doing it through his word, through his people, through the church, through things you read. He's doing it through circumstances. The last thing you think he would possibly use is the very thing that he's going to use to say, I'm coming, I'm looking for you. I'm looking for you. I know you're lost. I know you're lost. Sometimes as children... Matter of fact, Donna even tells a story about Jacob that when he got lost in the department store one time with the other sister, Marianne, that Jacob swore that Marianne was the one that got lost and he knew exactly where he was. I think that there are many people in this world who believe the same thing, that they know exactly where they are and that someone else is the lost one. Don't they? Because what they've done is they've built up their own religiosity around themselves They've said that I am not lost because I do this. I'm not lost because I believe this. I'm not lost because I've done that. And they can fill in the blanks. And you can fill in the blanks as well. You know what they say, and perhaps you're still saying it, or perhaps you said it before. I'm not lost because I believe in God. But that's not what redeems us. That's not what really brings us back into harmony. It's not just believing. The demons believe in God. People say, well, I'm not lost because I've been to church. I haven't missed. I go, to, I go every morning at 7 a.m. I go and I, I, I use my flags. I, pray, I go and I burn my incense. I go and I've been to the river and I've washed myself. They go, they just whatever it is in man's systems of trying to find himself, none of those things really work, do they? Because at the end of the day, when you put your head down on the pillow, after however many times you burn incense, after however many times you've done 7 o'clock services, or you've washed in the river, or whatever it may is you may have done, you've given away all your wealth. When you lay your head down on that pillow, the question you need to ask yourself is, where will I be in the morning if I wake up on the other side? And there's only one, there's only one answer to that, they can let you sleep through the night. Because all the others say, I hope so. Only one says, you can know for certain where you'll wake up the next morning on the other side. And that is through a relationship with Christ. That is by being found by the Savior as opposed to finding yourself. That is letting Him come and rescue you as opposed to you saying, I don't need to be rescued, I'm okay. Hmm. Well, in, in God's justice system, sin is atoned for, and you're going to see this in this passage right here. In God's justice system, sin is atoned for through blood. That's just the way it is. That's the way it's always been from the beginning of time. From Genesis 3, that's the way it's been. That when God is going to take care of man's sin, he does it through the shedding of blood somehow or another. It's going to cost someone their life. And so Genesis 3 is very symbolic in very many ways, but in other ways it's very real. God and man were separated all of a sudden. That's very real. But did they die physically? No, they lived for hundreds of years. But spiritually they died. Spiritually what was alive inside of them in a relationship with God was broken now. And so when you read Paul say that the, 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 the consequences of sin is death, that's what he's talking about. 
That we died when our ancestor died. We died spiritually when Adam died spiritually. And he passed on that death to every single one of us who've come after him. God symbolically takes their sin and he sheds blood for them. You remember what it says there? It says that they found out that they were without clothing and they, and they made loincloths for themselves with leaves. I'm thinking that's a terrible solution. It's got to be uncomfortable. And God steps in and he does this. He sheds the blood. First time death has ever entered into creation. He sheds the blood of an animal, takes the skin, and gives it to them to cover themselves with. Man's solution is always inadequate. Man's solution is never very good. It doesn't work. It will fall apart. God's solution is better always. It's the best. And in this case, where man said, I'll make... I'll make I'll cover my shame this way. God says, look, I'm going to do it this way. Something dies. That blood has been shed. And now those skins are given to mankind to cover, to atone for their sin. But see, that's the way it always is. Because as you go further than the Old Testament, you see there's an entire sacrificial system that's set up. And animals, blood is shed. Animals die to atone for man's sin. There is a scapegoat that's sent out that takes care of man's sin. Blood is shed. And, but throughout all of Scripture, even beginning right here in Genesis, it talks about, it's pointing toward someday there'll be one sacrifice, someday there'll be some blood shed that will mean that no other blood ever has to be shed because that blood, that sacrifice is the ultimate one. It will be in the form of my son. All of the Old Testament is pointing to that event, that event that we celebrated and observed last week. All of Old Testament Scripture is pointing to someday there is one sacrifice that no longer have to be made. So here in Genesis 3, blood is shed to cover cover their sin. The Old Testament, blood is shed to atone for the sin. And then you come to the New Testament, and the final, the one, the very best, the ultimate sacrifice comes into play. He dies, he sheds his blood so that blood never has to be shed again, so that you and I don't have to shed our blood. Jesus died for our sin. When we say, well, how is God pursuing me? Because I don't really see that. I'll get up early in the morning. It'll be cool still tomorrow, and I'll wait to hear him. But you won't. But when you hear anyone say that Jesus died for your sins, that is the very message of God pursuing you. That is the very message of God saying, I know you're lost. I'm coming to find you. I know that you are floundering spiritually and you're doing everything you know how to do to be able to atone for your sin and to make up for your sin and all the bad things you do. I'm coming for you. And I have a solution for that problem in my son, Jesus Christ. That's how he does it. Perhaps many of us here to say, well, I know where I am. What you have to answer is, do you know where you are because of Christ? Or do you know where you are because you're a hard worker? an avid believer in something else. See, because the only way to be found, the only way to be found is by placing your faith in Christ that his death serves as your death and his death serves as your payment. And then you can truly be found like my, sister, my sister-in-law said about Jacob so that one day you will be found to be lost never again. Never again. And then for if there is any of us here who has never been found, who has never placed their faith in Christ, then I can say with certainty 
not because you've told me, but because I know the, the nature of man, and I know my own heart, is that you are struggling with sin. I mean, you're struggling with, with shame and with guilt and with uncertainty. And the fact of the matter is, is that you can't hide from God. There's no place to go that he won't find you there. And it's not like he's pursuing you to punish you. He's pursuing you to win you over. He's pursuing you to find you so you're not lost anymore. He's pursuing you so that you don't have to worry about shame and guilt and fear anymore. He wants to take that away from you. You've heard us say it here many times, and the fact of the matter is is that Jesus died for your sins so that you don't have to die yourself. And it is simply by believing in him that you can stop running and be found. Christians, there are many of us, I would say also, that sometimes we'll find ourselves running as well. I, you heard me speak about it from time to time, uh, coming to, after a period of my own personal walk where I have been running and hiding. John says that he is faithful and just to forgive those who confess their sin. There's no qualifiers on that. There is no list that he says all these sins but that one or all these sins but this one. There's no like weight limit. Like you can come onto God's highway if you don't weigh this much. You know, there's nothing like that. It doesn't accumulate to a certain degree that you can no longer be forgiven. If you're a believer and your sin has mounted up in just such a way that you don't know how to reconcile that any longer, he still is searching for you. He still wants to take that sin out of the equation so that you and him can be reunited in the intimacy you once felt. This morning, whether you're running as a believer or hiding as a believer, or you're running or hiding as someone who's truly lost, God seeks you, and God is looking to find you. And just like Jake, so that you will never be lost again. Let's pray.